Well, hello there, and welcome to Talk About Talk, episode number 150. I am so excited about this episode. Today, we're tackling the topic of thought leadership and building your brand. Just over a month ago, I was sitting in the waiting room of my eye doctor, scrolling through emails on my phone when I saw an email from HBR, Harvard Business Review. The email was entitled, HBR's Best of 2023. Interesting. So I opened up the email and I started scrolling. I paused because I could not believe my eyes. And then I gasped out loud. Someone asked me, are you okay? I had a huge smile on my face. Yes, I am definitely okay. Thank you. What I saw on my phone was the announcement that my HBR article entitled A Simple Framework to Introduce Yourself was one of the top three most read articles in HBR in 2023. Wow. I could not believe my eyes. I kept scrolling through the email, and then I saw a face that looked very familiar. It was the face of Roger Martin, my old boss, the former dean at the Rotman School of Management. The email said that Roger's video, entitled A Plan is Not a Strategy, won the award for being the most downloaded video on HBR in 2023. So I went home, and I promptly wrote Roger a congratulations email. I also asked him if I could interview him for the Talk About Talk podcast. And here we are. Let's do this. Let's talk about talk. Welcome to Talk About Talk podcast episode number 150, where we're talking about thought leadership and building your brand. In case we haven't met yet, let me introduce myself. My name is Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. I'm your executive communication coach. I'm also the founder of Talk About Talk, where I coach communication skills to ambitious executives like you to elevate your communication, your confidence, and your clarity so you get noticed and you can accomplish your career goals. If you go to the talkabouttalk.com website, you'll find many resources there to help you out. There's information there about one-on-one coaching, online courses, some amazing boot camps that I run every few months, corporate workshops, the archive of this bi-weekly podcast, and I really hope you'll sign up for the Talk About Talk newsletter. That newsletter is your chance to get free communication coaching from me every week. All right, let's get into this. For this episode, as I said, you're going to hear my interview with my old boss from when I was on the faculty at the University of Toronto, Rotman School of Management. I'm going to interview the former dean, Roger Martin. Roger is undeniably a prolific thought leader with 33 HBR articles, 13 books, and a lot more. And let me tell you, if you're interested in thought leadership and building your brand, this interview is full of gold. Here's how the episode's going to go. First, I'll briefly introduce Roger, and then we're going to get right into the interview. And then at the end, I'm going to summarize with three, yes, of course, the power of three, three of the main thoughts or themes that I really want to reinforce for us. As I said, this interview is full of gold, but you really do not need to take notes. The transcript of the entire interview is included in the show notes, which you can find if you can go to the talkabouttalk.com website. And also, as I said, I summarize the main points at the end. You're welcome. I have to tell you, I am really proud of this episode now, but it was not an easy episode to produce. 
First of all, I was suffering from a really bad cold when I conducted the interview with Roger. I'm a bit better yet. I'm still not 100%. You can probably tell. I had a terrible coughing fit at the very beginning of the interview. So if you're watching on YouTube, you're going to see me turn my microphone on mute and cough a lot. Then about 20 minutes later, the battery in Roger's computer died and we lost our connection. So we had to start again after he plugged his computer in and we reconnected. Aye, aye, aye. It's never easy, right? But it's worth it. As I said, I'm really pleased with how this episode turned out. All right, let's do this. Let me introduce Roger and then we're going to get right into the interview. Roger received his BA from Harvard College and then in 1981, he earned his MBA from the Harvard Business School. Roger then spent 13 years as a director of Monitor Company, a global strategy firm based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. You'll hear Roger talk about how his thought leadership started there with the internal memos that he used to write. He's now a professor emeritus at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto, where he served as dean from 1998 to 2013. That's where we cross paths. Today, Roger is a trusted strategy advisor to the CEOs of companies worldwide, including Procter & Gamble, Lego, Ford, BHP, and Verizon. Roger's latest book is called A New Way to Think, Your Guide to Superior Managerial Effectiveness. His previous 12 books include When More is Not Better, Creating Great Choices, Getting Beyond Better, and Playing to Win, which won the award for the best book of 2012-2013 by The Thinkers 50. As of right now, Roger has written 33 HBR articles. In 2010, he was named one of the 27 most influential designers in the world by Business Week. In 2007, he was named a Business Week B-School All-Star for being one of the 10 most influential business professors in the world. And in 2017, Rogers was named the world's number one management thinker by Thinkers 50. Clearly, Roger is a thought leader. Thank you, Roger, so much for being here to talk about building your brand. It is great to be here. And as uh, as you know, we go, go way back. I always love interacting with the professors I work with uh, in the good old days at Rodman School of Management. So yeah, me too. Me so as we were discussing before, before we press record, your name came across my screen when I got the email about HBR's most downloaded podcast, most downloaded articles, and most downloaded video. You had the most downloaded video of 2023. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. You can never tell if you would have said, oh, this one, this one is going to do 3.4 million views at last, at last count. I would have said, oh, come on, really? But it, it just, uh, it just hit some vein in people's uh, thinking that seemed to resonate. And same, I'm sure with your article where, where you probably didn't necessarily know that it was going to strike but when it in the modern world when something sort of hits a hits an important vein like that it 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 just goes and there's no end to it going so how many downloads you you told me when we were emailing how many downloads approximately did it get it's at 3.4 million views and counting now by a $400,000 a uh, 400,000 view margin the most viewed video in the history of Harvard Business Review 
uh, videos, and it is it is moving away from the uh, from the pack. My beloved colleague Mike uh, Mike Porter's fifteen year old one explaining the five forces was always number one at at now three million. So. Hi. I remember reading that one too. I will leave a link in the show notes so that the listeners can also watch. It's called A Plan is Not a Strategy, right? That is correct. That Very is correct. compelling title, by the way. I'm sure that that, that also contributed to the yeah. number. But then, yeah. but then they don't count views unless they keep viewing, right? So, yep. No, yeah. no. And I, and I would give HBR, and I know you you publish a lot uh, there too. I, I'd give them great credit. Like the difference between HBR now and... 30 years ago when I did my first article is there it was it was just content the covers of the magazine were bland and boring there was no artwork associated uh, with them no production value I remember that and, yeah but now the magazine the website these videos are very in my view high production value so they did a great job of graphics and the like in the in the video so I give them great credit for taking whatever content hope I guess my content was interesting enough but they took that and made them made the most of it rather than rather than 30 years ago they would have made the least of it honest honestly and so I, I give them credit and and hopefully you've had a good good experience on that front too very good it's it's been great yeah. people contact me because of the article yeah so you said I guess it was good enough you're being very humble so <laughs> For those people who don't know Roger Martin, he is, in fact, a prolific thought leader. Roger, just in January 2024, published his 33rd article in HBR. He also does keynotes. He's published elsewhere. He's published how many books? 13. Thir 13. Lucky number 13 books. <laughs> so when I'm speaking with executives and coaching them on their personal brand, establishing their professional identity. I, I sometimes get questions about thought leadership and is it required as a part of, of leader of being an effective leader? Do you have any advice for those executives out there who are seeking to, as we say, establish thought leadership? I would say the answer to your question is actually yes. But that answer might not be what people think it is, because I think there's a difference between a public thought leader and a private thought leader. Mm. And I know that difference because I was a private thought leader until 1998. What does that mean? Well, I, I was at a, uh, one of the leaders of a firm called Monitor Company. It was a firm that was built essentially around Mike Porter. And I liked to communicate with my clients, my CEO clients, often with, with memos, because I, I sort of hate PowerPoint, and it's just not the same as gathering your thoughts to put together a coherent memo. And so I would write memos to CEOs on all sorts of interesting topics that they had on their, on their minds. I became known within Monitor for that, and people would just email me all the time and say, uh, Roger, have you written anything on overhead costs? Have you written anything on industry evolution? Have you written anything on whatever? One after another, so much so that I put together a file on my computer desktop called Greatest Hits, and they were just ones that other monitor people asked for because I hated searching through client files to find, oh, I did write something on that one time. But that was highly pr private thought leader. Nobody outside monitor kind of knew it was only only other monitor consultants knew that the guy within monitor to ask 
to email was me because I probably had had uh, done something. In a similar way, I think to be an effective leader, you have to have thought leadership within your organization. They need to know what you stand for. What do you care about? And how do you think about what you you uh, think about and why? And so, you know, my longtime uh, friend and co-author, A.G. Laffley, was that way within Proctor before he became more famous outside. There were AG-isms. The consumer is is boss. We have to win the first moment of uh, of truth, uh, which is when the when the uh, consumer does or does not pick your product off the shelves. Before we win the second moment of truth, which is when she puts our lay on her face or the guy shampoos his hair with with uh, head and shoulders or, or or whatever. So he was a thought leader. He took the time to to be able to communicate in a clear and compelling way what was on his mind and what he thought was important. And I think if you can't do that, if they say, yeah, uh, Andrea or Roger's my CEO, but you know they run the place, and but I don't really know what they think, I don't think you're going to be nearly as effective as if you are that kind of thought leader. But it is a completely different thing to be a public thought, thought leader, which I only became actually only when I figured out it was my job when I got to be dean of Rodman School, as you know, because I hired you in uh, in uh, 1998. And it just sort of occurred to me, hmm, I shouldn't, especially at a University of Toronto, as a public university, at a public university, you should be writing for more people than this uh, private little group. And so I just started, I literally did similar things summarized my thought as in what was hopefully a useful way and projected it to the outside world. But that's that's different form of thought leadership in 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 my view. So I was going to ask you a question about the topic that you become a thought leader leader on, right? So it could be functional expertise, discipline expertise. It could be you're saying it could be your strategy. It could be an element of something that your customer cares about, right? So in terms of what the topic is, people think there's put your stake in the ground and you decide you're a thought leader in a certain area. And you're like, well, if you think about it in terms of public and private thought leadership, suddenly the types of topics expand. I think that's true. Products and services sort of have to stand for something. And I think people similarly, if you're sort of all over the place on on what you opine on, people are not going to be able to sort of say, oh, here's what I can expect from Roger. Here's what I can expect from Andrea. It turns out, though, that that I, I would say, be careful of putting yourself in a box, right? Like, yes, people think about me as having things to say about about strategy. That That would be one thing that I, that they would know me for. But I think more generally, and I think this is reflected in my last book, A New Way to Think. It's, it's, I think people expect me to kind of go back to first principles on management and help people find more powerful, productive ways to think about whatever management subject is on their mind. So, Roger, you're speaking my language because you're really <laughs> talking about Roger's personal brand. Your personal brand, your professional identity is someone who brings in business fundamentals and teaches or coaches people 
how to think about things in a different way so that they can create a strategy, not just a plan to accomplish their goals. You could call it a recipe, you could call it, but it's your brand. It's you now have a I, reputation for doing this. I think so. I think so. And and, and another piece of it is uh, it's enabling. So I don't just say you should do the following thing. I say here's why. Here's the here's the reasoning behind why, so that you can really internalize it and and understand mm-hmm. that's why. And I do that in part to protect the person on the receiving end of the advice because virtually all of my views are minority views, right? So at least 85, if not 90% of all things that are called strategy in the world aren't, they're planning. I say, don't do that, do this other thing. And the person who listens to me and does this other thing is going to have a whole bunch of people saying, why are you doing that? Do it, do it our way. way So I have to to equip them with the logic that, that says, so I have to explain why sensible people, totally sensible people are planning and thinking it's strategy. And here's why it's sensible. And here's how they got mm-hmm. there. And here's mm-hmm. the history of, of, of how they how they got there, but it's not working. Here would be another way of of uh, of doing it. And here's and here's why. And that's if there's anything I think I'm I'm known for, it's it's that. It's helping people be able to think differently, not just giving people different answers. And not accusing them of making irreparable, fatal mistakes in in what they're doing, right? So the analogy for me, in terms of coaching people on their personal brand is, I ask people, what do you think the most common mistake is that people make with their personal brand? There are many mistakes that people make, but one of the most common is copying others. Yes. And then I see this look and I say, listen, we are social learners. We look around, we see other people that are successful around us. And we emulate them. And I say, that's a fantastic strategy early in your career. If you want to knock it out of the park later in your career, double down on your unique passions and expertise, right? And then you will be your happiest and most successful self. So I'm not saying you're an idiot for copying other people. I explain why people do that. It's very common. In fact, we're wired to do that. Here's this insight that I can provide you with. So I think we're kind of doing the same. Roger. No, I, I no, I think so. And one of my most most beloved mentors, if if not other than my parents, most beloved mentor is a uh, guy that late great Chris Argerus. One of the things he explained to me, Andrea, way back when, is he said, if when you're seeing somebody doing something that you think is not doesn't make doesn't make a bunch of sense, uh, they shouldn't be doing that. If you're Best and only explanation is either they're stupid or evil. Good luck to you in ever getting something to change. Right. And, and I hear you saying something something similar. You're saying, no, 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 no. You're sensible. You're being sensible, but the sensible thing you're doing isn't getting you the results you want. So right. you have to you have to empathize with them. Most yeah. people who try to change other people literally think that person is either stupid or evil and I've got to fix them. They have no success because the person on the receiving end of what of that thought in your mind, you don't express it or anything. They know that you're essentially judging them as stupid or stupid or evil and they want to listen to you like they want they want to, you know, cut off the right arm. Yeah. Uh, you're the last person. Yeah. 
that's so I why ask you a question we're similar, bit, very similar in that respect from the sounds of it. Yeah. I want to ask you a question that's a little bit more specific to thought leadership for executives yeah. today, right? So as you said, we knew each other a long time ago. When books were really the way that it was, it was sort of like the pinnacle of thought leadership was to, to write a book. And if you became a bestseller, even better. Now we've got TED Talks. Um, you're, you're talking about you yourself evolving from writing internal memos to now having the most downloaded video at HBR and also having, you know, as I said, prolific books and, and so on. How can CEOs really think about media? I would love to hear just any general or specific comments that you have about like, is, is it good to double down on one kind of media or should we go broad with the same message? And how, how can we think about leveraging media? It, it is a good question. And, and the, the question on books is an apropos one for me. I've written 13 of them and, and I'm feeling kind of less like writing books than I used to. Like the thing that I write most, as you may know, is my Medium column. Uh, I've got a column on, on Medium. I started it three and a half years ago called the Playing to Win Practitioner Insights Series. I've just, on Monday, I, I drop a new uh, a new piece every Monday and have for the past 170 odd weeks, um, but just started the fourth year of the of the series. And I love that more than I love writing books, mm. as, as it turns out. Like, I like the quick turnaround, right? I think about something that can be out next Monday. Uh, sometimes it's out a few Mondays later because I'm percolating on it. But if I really want it out, it, it can be out. They're designed to be eight to uh, six to eight minute reads. So 1,500 to 2,000 words is what it turns out that Medium says. They'll, Medium will judge how many words of that. So that's six to eight minutes. And I've gone up from zero followers to, at last count, 213,000, wow. which, is, which is now on the edge of the top 10 of, of Medium fo followership, uh, as, it, as it turns out. And I I like that, and people seem to seem to like it a uh, a lot. I've had a, a just under a million and a half views of of my medium uh, yeah. pieces. So the analogy for me is my podcast, right? So yeah. so what can we learn from that? Is it the fact that you have a regular cadence of publication, and that's what what works for you? I, it, I'm sure it varies by person, right? In terms of what's going to work. No, but, but but there are some rules, I think. People are habit-driven, Yes. right? People have habits of doing things, right? This is why movie sequels, that's the whole business is movie sequels. I have a habit of watching every Equalizer movie when it comes out, yeah. right? So if they call, if it was the same plot, but they called it something else, I, I, I might watch it and I might not. Even if it was Denzel Washington, I, I might or might not watch it. But if it's Equalizer 4, uh, I will watch it because I have developed a habit right. of, of, of doing that. And people are all habit driven. And so what if you want to be a thought leader of consequence, you need to have a bunch of people adopting you as a habit You've got to make that ah. easier for them rather than harder for them. Andrea, you did a podcast and then disappeared for a while and then <laughs> wrote some books and did a podcast seven months later 
and, and then it was three months after that. So it's not even a, a regular interval. Yeah. Uh, pe- people would find it hard to have an Andrea habit. Right. But if instead they say, you know what, I, I just check and, and I know Andrea's got a series and she comes out every two weeks with every one second Monday at 1 a.m. Eastern. Do you? Okay. That's, that's the best. So the yeah. best mine are 9 a.m. Eastern on uh, Mondays, give or take, give or take, uh, uh, you know, half an hour or so, depending on my, on my uh, schedule. So yeah. habit has to be, you will not be a thought leader if people do not have mm-hmm. a, a habit of you. And so what you have to do is make it easier to have an Andrea habit. And every two weeks, at the same time and the same sort of thing. If it suddenly was, nope, I'm dropping a a written thing uh, that 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 time. They say, no, 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 no. It's a podcast, Andrea. It's a it's a podcast. What's your problem? You're not helping me uh, feel good about my my habit. You're sort of jerking me a little bit out of out of my my sense of of calm uh, calmness. So that's why they need to know what to expect. I mean, it, it goes to the promise article that I know we've talk, talked about is, is that in some sense, you're making a promise. Yes. Your, your promise is, yeah, every two weeks, 1 a.m. Eastern, a podcast drops and it's going to be me, Andrea, talking to somebody else about a subject in this domain. Yep. That's a promise. Yes. You know, if you make no promise, you say, I'm Andrea and I do whatever the hell I please, whenever I please at random in- intervals. Right. Like this is, a, you know, B.F. Skinner learned this a long time ago with pigeons, right? Like, you know, they go nuts if they get hit at infrequent levels, at, right. at in- infrequent times. If yeah. they know every morning they're going to get a rap on the head they can live with that. They can deal with it. They don't like it, but they can deal with it. If it's random, they go nuts. Yeah. They go crazy. So pe- people like to be able to, to have a habit. So I'm so and- glad that I have a, a content calendar. So I have a newsletter that comes out once every Thursday. I'm thinking about all these things. Yes. And, yes. and I want to shift to what you made me think about the right way to build your brand HBR article. But before we shift away from, from, thought leadership per se, I want to ask you who I can guess based on previous conversations that you and I have had, what are the thought leaderships, thought leaders out there right now that you admire the most? Good question. Who are my favorite thought leaders these days? Well, Amy Edmonton is a really good friend and and, uh, I like what she does. Adam Grant is a really good friend. I like I like what uh, mm. uh, what he does. He's definitely one of my favorites as well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Pink. Dan Pink is different. Um, he is just such such a down the learning curve journalist. Like that was what what he was. He he creates wonderful stories around what he what uh, he does. So whatever topic uh, Dan Pink tackles, it, yeah. he'll he'll tackle it from a journalist perspective, right? Yeah. Yeah, Just beautifully is the way I think about it. Those are three great ones. I'm going to, I'm going to put some links in. I'm let, I have read Dan Pink, but I am not as familiar with his. So I'm going to, based on your recommendation, pursue that a little bit more. 
but yes. I'll put links to all three of those thought leaders in the in the show notes. I want to shift to your most recent HBR article, the right way to build your brand. And you yes. and I had a conversation off camera, right? Where we were talking about the old marketing days and the new marketing days and how this, how this has sort of come together. And now you've done this research to address this sort of disparity between performance marketing and brand marketing with, with a beautiful evidence-based prescription for marketers, right, on how to execute brand marketing or what we used to call awareness marketing um, in a way that is going to get results. So do you want to share the premise of the article? Sure. The premise is that you have a brand only when you make a promise to your customer, whoever that is, whether it's a corporation or a, a consumer, you make a promise to that to that customer, fulfill that promise, make it fulfill it, make it fulfill it until such time as the customer doesn't think about whether or not you will fulfill your promise. Then you have a brand. You have to stand for something that they care about, they find valuable, and you've got to deliver on it. If you don't make a promise, it's just a competitive world. Somebody else will. And if you fulfill it some of the time, but not others of the time. So back to your podcast, if randomly there's just nothing at 1 a.m. on the week that there should have been something, and it's just randomly, then they'll say, well, I like Andrea's podcasts when they show up, yeah. uh, but am I going to count on them? No, because sometimes they don't show up. So you wouldn't have you wouldn't have consistently fulfilled a promise to have really interesting content on this subject in this format that it shows up at that time. And I would say not to be too harsh, you deserve it. Like you right. deserve not to not not to be a brand because it's so uh, it's so un, un, uh, unclear. So in my read of the article, there are also three criteria associated with the promise that are necessary, right? It needs to be memorable, valuable, and deliverable. Deliverable means you make good on the promise, really, ultimately, that is right. right? That is right. Can you elaborate on what those three levers are? Or sure, sure. Yeah. So so the 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 memorable one is it's clear enough that it's easy for you to remember. For me, I think of Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% is memorable because it's crystal clear. It's absolutely crystal clear. I think even though it's probably good because they've pounded it for many years, uh, you're in good hands with Allstate or Nationwide is on your side. I don't think are as as meaningfully, functionally memorable as they would be as the Geico one. And it's because mm. they're more elliptical. What, what, what does in, uh, in good hands actually mean? Yeah. What does it mean the insurance company is going to do? Are they always going to fulfill my claims and, and quickly? Well, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Nationwide is on your side. Does that mean... Does that mean regardless of what I do, they, they're there? I don't think they're they're as crisply memorable as I spend fifteen minutes and I get and I get fifteen percent. It uh, seems like it's specificity. It's 
just not elliptical. It's not sort of, you don't have to kind of think too much about it. Yeah. So that and, and value, I, I think it's, it's there's, and, and you would know this six ways yeah. to Sunday, there are core category benefits of any category. If we go, if we go Byron Sharping yeah. who I really like, uh, on this, there are core benefits. There are, the, there are fringe uh, benefits and it's going to be valuable to the extent that it deals with a, with a core uh, category benefit. Okay. Right. If, uh, if, you know, hair colorants, it's, Getting your hair colored the way you want it uh, colored, the, what you imagine it, it it being, or if or if uh, head and shoulders again gets rid of your dandruff, it, those are the category benefits. So to the extent to which the promise is about a core category benefit that 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 clearly matters to customers, that that's uh, uh, going to be more powerful. And then deliverable, you can actually deliver it. The sort of the flip side of deliverable is sort of auditable, right? Uh-huh. So, that, so that again, what I like about fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent, right? Is is the degree to which you go online? Do, 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 do you spend fifteen minutes? And did I get a quote that was fifteen percent less? And if and and so you can audit that one. Yeah, nationwide is on your side. Yeah, you're good hands with all state. How how exactly do you audit that? And I think if it's super auditable, the company will be embarrassed quickly if it can't deliver. Mm-hmm. And so I think auditable makes it more likely to be deliverable. Less auditable, it's you know, uh, you know, we're a great company, or yeah. or or kind of we're going to save the planet. Yeah. Uh, or even you can depend on us, right? Like it's yeah. okay. In yeah. what in what particular? Way. Uh, kind of way can can we depend on it? Sherman Williams has got this 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 uh, new one that I, that I like that that uh, says you can you can say your color into their little machine now that's in the thing and it will it will produce that color for you. Like I want a Polynesian island uh, kind of that blue water, right? Uh, and you can say that to it, and it'll and it'll come up with uh, something something for you. Oh, amazing! That sounds very uh, cool. Yeah. If you could read my thought bubbles right now, Rod, <laughs> you would be laughing because everything you're saying, I'm like the analogy for that with personal branding is this, or this is an exception. Um, so, in the article, I really love this point about the challenge that brand marketers have now in establishing, you know, what, what's the story? Like, how are we, how are we going to get brand marketing approved or awareness marketing approved when this performance marketing, we're actually measuring and benefiting immediately. It's almost like the performance marketing is short-term wins. So how can we even fight against that you know, in terms of awareness or brand marketing, when when it's a, like a longer term haul, like from awareness to interest to desire to action versus immediately to action. So when I put that lens overlay onto personal branding, I feel like personal branding is about doing the work to optimize the brand for your awareness, uh, if you want to call it campaign, where you're communicating as you might through internal messages or memos that you're sending to staff, through your your memo that you're writing, through books that you're writing, through keynote speeches, through how you're acting in meetings, through every single conversation that you have. I'm wondering if 
the three levers that we talked about in terms of, um, or criterion that the message is, or the promise is memorable, valuable, and deliverable. How would that translate in terms of personal branding? So maybe we need a specific example. So um, we, we, we can use me again, if you want. Yeah. I'm a executive communication coach. Yeah. And I have a podcast and I do workshops and one-on-one coaching. How is that message memorable, valuable, and deliverable? First, you have to make a promise, right? Which is, if you work with me and you listen to, to me, um, you know, you will gain these communication benefits. Your communication will go from here to here in, in some sense, whatever way you'd want to define that. Or it could be that, uh, that um, uh, here's a particular communication problem that they've come to you with. It's sort of like, I can't, I, the, I'm on the wrong page with the board or, or yep. in my quarterly analyst uh, kind of uh, meetings, I, you know, I don't feel like they work, work so well, I get beat up or something. So what if, whatever it is, you say, my promise is, if you work with me for the next three months, you will have a great, great quarterly meetings. Right. And so and so then to be to be memorable, I think I would I would paint a picture of it. I would say, let's look at videos from you tell me who you think does a great job at this. Right. right? I'd go get a, a video of that person because most of these are now are now videoed on, on their website. So I just yep. get their quarterly quarterly uh, kind of meeting on it. I'd sit them down and and say. Let's let's watch this. Yeah, I promise you will be as effective as that person. Yeah. So that'll be yeah. very memorable because they'll have an image of the person that they wish they they could be as well. I say you're going to be different, right? Because everybody, you know, this is this is Dale Carnegie. Do you know what he said? What did he, say? he said he many said, things. <laughs> he said he, on this front, he said never give another man's. It was a man's world. Uh, never give another man's speech. Ah, he said. He said. And and he said something to the effect of like if you're the EA of of the you know some important person the senator and the senator literally falls down and smashes his head five minutes before the speech do not go up to the podium and read his his uh, speech uh, you what you what you should do is is do your own thing because you should never give another man speech you have to be your 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 yourself anyway. Roger this is consistent with what you what we were saying about having your unique personal brand right exactly yourself exactly. and you'll be your best yeah and i got i got to be an awesome presenter at at uh at monitor over right. over practice only after i decided not to be Mark Fuller, who I tried uh, to be, who is the CEO. Yeah. He's, he was the adult. We were all in our 20s and he was in his early 30s and, and he was yeah. an outstanding presenter. And I would watch him and say, I can do that too. I can't, I can't, I can do something, something else. So, but I'd make it memorable by give him, giving them uh, uh, an image of it that, that that person can say, if Andrea can make me as effective as her or him, whoever, yeah. whoever that, that person is, that'll yeah. be, that'll be uh, memorable. Valuable in this case, you've listened enough for them to say it's it's not communications in general that I that get on my nerves the most. It's the earnings calls and getting getting terrible. Our ER people are like, oh god, and we get terrible. So you've identified the benefit that they're seeking. Right. You've aimed yep. right at it, 
Instead, instead of saying, no, 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 let's not worry about that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that sometime, uh, sometime later. Uh, so valuable. Be, is, yes. Valuable. Is benefit, the what key, they care about. Yeah. Yeah. A thing that they care about most. And then deliverable is, is, you know, I, I would, I would say uh, that one, you've got to be able to deliver that. You can't, you can't say that to somebody when you know that some people are crummy, crummy, which I don't think is true. Some people are crummy computer, uh, communicators, or you can only work with somebody, but then to make it auditable, right. To make it the most powerful promise, I'd say, here's a roadmap. I think it's going to take you six months. That's what I would do on personal branding. And so, yeah. So what I would hope that happens is then he or she uh, says to their buddy when they talk about, ah, oh, boy, my earnings calls haven't been doing so well, or I, they ask me to make these big yeah. presentations to all staff and I do such a crummy job. And they'll say, there's this woman, Andrea, uh, and she she will tell you what she can do and she'll do it. Right. She'll absolutely, absolutely do it. Yeah. Then, then you've got a brand, right? Yeah. You've got a brand where where people say, "Here's your promise," and and it's it's been memorable enough that they can repeat it, and yeah. uh, and it was valuable to them, and they can vouch that you can deliver it, and then yeah. you're you're off to the races. And you benefit from organic word of mouth, which is my dissertation research. I was going to also add that your your uh, comments about promises remind me I was interviewing one of my clients, one of my personal branding clients. I was interviewing some of her stakeholders to get input to her, her existing personal brand. And one of her clients said, she's very dependable. She has a very high say do ratio. And I was like, Oh, that is gold. We all want to have a high say do, do ratio. In fact, we as humans as personally and professionally, right? We want to be dependable. And then also the brands that we're managing, you want to have a high say-do ratio. It's another way of putting, you, you keep your promises, right? Absolutely. No, say-do is is keep promise for sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I mean, again, the, 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 the article that I wrote with Jan and Mimi, who are great to, great to work with, by the way, uh, um, LinkedIn folks, I mean, like many of my my articles are, it's not it's not earth shattering. No, when you think about it, yeah. you, you know, you say, ah, that that makes that makes sense, and that's yeah. again a, a, a lot of for what it's worth my my work, which is which is bringing a way to think about something that is that that may not be earth shattering, but if you don't think about it that way, you just don't do it. Yeah. And and you, you saw the little the little thing on on the the Super Bowl, right? Super Bowl ads. And you know how much a Super Bowl ad costs, uh, uh, Andrea. And and even in that context, 60% ish of them in in the, in last year's Super Bowl, and I bet it'll be this for in the Super Bowl a month from now, yeah. have no promise whatsoever. Right. And so so even though it makes sense when you say it, if people don't have that framework in their head that says, I better, I better kind of uh you know audit it uh for that. You I've provided- worked forever with Procter and Gamble, right? Yeah. And, and and so I, you know, I I went to my friends there and said and and said, hey, this is coming out and whatever. A really senior guy there put together a series of uh, of ad copy for me. Yeah. And he wanted to review with me together because he had come to a conclusion on it and he wanted to understand whether it was. And and he said yeah. he said 
and, and it was five ads. And, and he asked me, you know, at the end, you know why I put them in the order I did? And I, and I said, yeah, the promises were less memorable, valuable, deliverable, uh, kind of uh, at the first one uh, all the way. They're still okay because they're Procter and they're really good. Uh, but he said, even, hmm, even within our ads, there's a variability on this front. And I, uh, now that I've, now it's sort of now that I've, now that I've understood the the data here more, yeah. that variability, you know, there's no good reason for for allowing that to to happen. Right. So, like you said, it's not rocket science, but you've come up with a framework. And and by the way, I want to um, just note to the regular listeners of Talk About Talk, they know I'm a huge fan of the power of three. You've identified three criteria against which brand marketing campaigns can be evaluated rather objectively, yes. right? When the advertising agency comes or the promotional agency comes and presents, here are our three ideas, here's our, our leading idea. What do you think? Are you going to approve this? Instead of like, oh, I like it because of this or not because of this or trying to sound, sound quote unquote strategic, you can yes. say, here's the three criteria I'm putting it against. Mem- is it memorable? Is it valuable? And is it a deliverable promise? Yes or no, it's approved or not approved. I think yes. uh, in the same yeah. way, by the way, that um, my three-point self-introduction framework, you talk about your present self, you establish your superpower, then you establish credibility by talking about your past. So it's present, past, and then future. You make an enthusiastic statement about the future, working with the person. It's not rocket science, but it's a framework that you can use in your in your mind that, that um, alleviate some of the anxiety associated with self-introductions and it works. So, yeah. Okay. And, and um, it's important. And it's important. I mean, I know this slightly off topic too, but, but, and this is your more or your old world of ads and, and dealing with ad agencies and the like, unfortunately, ad agencies have a, have a different metric uh, than, than their clients. I know they do. What's their metric. Right? They're trying to win awards. You got it. Right? Yeah, I know. I know. I knew you knew. That's why. I, that's why I asked that question. That, that listeners will will understand that that that's not a obvious obvious answer, right? You had right. to you had to be an insider kind of to know, but that's what they want. Yeah, they want. I mean, and the real power what do they is have it? on their desks, plaques in their office. It's yeah. not we increase sales this much for this client. It's yeah. I got that con lion uh, kind of uh, award, and so that's why it's so important is you've got to audit them because they are not interested in what you are most interested in. Right. And if you think otherwise, you know, you you will be you will be sadly disappointed repeatedly. True. True. Okay, are you ready to answer the three rapid fire questions? Sure. Sure. Question number 1, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Uh, introvert in spades. And how does that affect your communication? You know, I I just have to make sure that I am uh, well rested before important communications. Oh. So if if I were to have had back to back to back meetings before this and not had a chance to just settle and and recharge, I hopefully have done an okay job. I wouldn't yeah. have done that crappy job yeah. at doing it because my brain would have been like this yeah. and I would have been depleted in, yeah. in energy. So it's more, it's more about 
prep for communication because people don't understand about introverts. Introverts are, are, are like like people as much as other people and all that. Introverts simply lose energy by interacting right. with other people. Yeah. Extroverts gain energy uh, uh, from interacting with uh, uh, with other other people, and so you have you have to protect. An introvert has to protect their energy for important communications. Agree. So a lot of people conflate introversion with shyness, and they in fact are orthogonal. If you define shyness as social anxiety, it's it's a it's a completely different concept, right? From yes. from yeah. introversion, it really is about managing your energy. If you want to if you want to leverage your superpower, if you're an introvert, you're also probably a great listener, right? And there there are great things associated with it. Managing your energy as an introvert or as an extrovert. Um, I used to come home from board meetings at 10, 1030 at night. And I'd be wired because I was, I was as an extrovert, full of energy. And I, and I yes. realized then I needed to figure out a way of managing my energy that way. So, okay, these rapid fire questions are not, are not going very rapid. Second question, what are your communication pet peeves or pet peeve? Uh, elliptical uh, introductions. It works like really? do, 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 do. <laughs> I, I, I would rather I would rather go right into what you're going to uh, going to say um, uh, and and not leave people guessing. And so when some people when somebody come, used to come into my office as dean and and start talking about stuffing and, and I and I don't know what it's about, I I, I just I, it's, it, it starts to get under my my skin and i will oft i would often do a timeout could we just subject yeah could we have a subject you, of this meeting did Please. you read uh did you read the book smart brevity no no Is oh highly recommend so it, you'll even like the format of it um in yes. terms of production quality so the whole point of smart brevity is tell me what you're going to tell me tell me how long it's going to take and why i'm going to read this and then yes. and what the point is right and then give me the details yeah. Uh, yeah. Boom. I'm, I'm, I'm with it. Who, yes. who's, what kind of person has written it? Is it an uh, academic? It's the three uh, co-founders of Axios. Oh, oh yeah. interesting. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That, that, well, I'll that put a link to that in the show notes as well. Yes. Okay. Third question. Is there a podcast that you find yourself recommending lately? Well, I, I'll tell you what my favorite podcast is. It's the... Farnham Street Knowledge Project podcast, uh, and it's a Canadian guy who used to be in in uh, uh, in CSIS, who oh. has gone and done and and done this uh, this podcast. It's called the Knowledge Project, and it's it's my favorite to be interviewed by. And that's probably like I I my my greatest uh, interaction with podcasts is who I'm who I'm what podcast I'm interviewed by. That that. And the podcast he did uh, with me was my, uh, I've gotten the most positive feedback from people listening to that of any podcast I've ever, I've ever done. Wow. Something to aspire to. Yeah. Yes. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. What about, I also, uh, what about I also love Tif Tiffany Bova. I don't know if you ever listened to her, Tiffany, nope. Tiffany Bova. Yeah. She, she does a, a good, uh, a good podcast. All right. Thank you, Roger. Is there anything else you want to add about establishing thought leadership, about the right way to build your brand and or about personal branding or maybe a meta comment about how to. Well, you, 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 you've got to love doing it. Um, so people often ask me, you know, 
Roger, you write so much, right? The medium column, the uh, practitioner inside is, is the equivalent in length to four playing to wins. And they say, how can you write so much? How do you carve out time? And I said, well, that would be like asking my older brother who loves golf. How does he possibly, and he's a, he runs a big business, but he plays 75 rounds of golf a year, maybe a hundred for all I know, but 70, 75 at least. Now, Rick, how on earth could you possibly find the time to fit it in? He loves it. He's going right. to find, he's going to find the time. So don't try to be a public thought leader. If you don't love the activities involved, if you're an executive, Right? If you run an organization of some sort, you're going to have to work on your private thought leadership, right? regardless. But public thought leadership is a lot of work. And if you love it, do it. And if you don't, I just wouldn't try and make yourself or force yourself to be it because you're not going to be any good. Right. I love your distinction between public and private thought leadership. Um, I thank you very much for publicly sharing your ideas and suggestions and advice with the listeners. Thank you so much, Roger. Hey, it's, it's my pleasure. And I, and I, and I got to say, I'm, I couldn't be happier to see how your career has developed and evolved since your time at, at, at the Rodman School. Like, I think it's, it's just cool that you've carved your own way, right? You recall right from the world of academia yeah. it's really really specific it's like right. you become an assistant professor then you do this set of things then you become an associate and it's all quite programmed more programmed than i thought until i got in into it um and i love the fact that you've created your own programming and and are doing such wonderful stuff mm -hmm. so it makes me it makes me happy oh thank you so much for sharing that rod that really that really means a lot thank you not at all not Thanks again to Roger Martin for so generously sharing his insights about thought leadership and building your brand. As you could probably tell, I really enjoyed that conversation. It occurred to me about halfway through that I kept mentioning that I was going to put links to things in the show notes. There is quite a list of resources, including his HBR video with 3.4 million views, the Michael Porter video, Roger's podcast recommendations, and many other things that were mentioned. Again, it's all in the show notes for you. I encourage you to take a look. And now, as promised, I'm gonna briefly summarize with you three of the main points from our conversation. Of course, always three. The first point is the distinction between private and public thought leadership. Roger made a very astute point that as leaders, we must develop at least private leadership. Your organization needs to know that you as a leader have something you stand for, they need to know what you care about and why. That said, you do not need to be a public thought leader in order to be an effective leader. Great point. The next point is advice for public thought leaders. I love this quote from Roger. He said, quote, don't try to be a public thought leader if you don't love the activities involved. If you run an organization, you're gonna to have to work on your private thought leadership regardless. But public thought leadership is a lot of work. If you love it, do it. If you don't, I just wouldn't try to force yourself because you're not going to be any good. This is fantastic advice. The other advice for public thought leaders that Roger shared was about the cadence of communication. When I asked him about his thoughts in terms of media for thought leadership, 
Should we write a book? Should we do a TED Talk? Should we focus exclusively on one media or should we go broad? His answer was completely different. He suggests that as public thought leaders, we should publish at a regular cadence. Why? Well, simply because people are habit-driven. And that's why he publishes his Medium articles at the same time every week. And that's why I publish this Talk About Talk podcast every two weeks on Monday morning at 1 a.m. Eastern. And also why I publish the coaching email newsletter every Wednesday. Okay, the last point I want to reinforce is from Roger's article, The Right Way to Build Your Brand. And it's this. When you're evaluating a brand message, it could be an ad campaign, or maybe it's even thinking about your own personal brand. You need to make a promise. And when you evaluate that promise, you can do so in terms of three criteria. Is it memorable? Is it valuable? And is it deliverable? Do you keep your promise? Suddenly, the evaluation of what they call performance marketing, which previously used to be very subjective, can become a lot more objective. This is a significant insight associated with evaluating advertising, and I think it's going to make a big impact in the advertising world. This is another great example of Roger's thought leadership. Thanks again to Roger Martin for taking the time to share his thought leadership with us. All right. I hope you learned some valuable nuggets to inform your own thought leadership and building your brand. Please connect with me and let me know. You can message me anytime on LinkedIn. Please connect with me there if we're not connected already. Or you can go to the talkabouttalk.com website and leave me a voicemail message. I would love to hear your voice. Or you can fill out the contact form that's in the about section on the website. However you do it, I love hearing from you. Thank you so much for listening and talk soon.